Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to book club number 37, and we are going to cover pillar number two in Don Yeager's great teams today. So pillar number two is effective management. And so what are you doing to effectively manage your team? Well, the first thing we go into is developing great leaders. Now, what Jaeger says is there's essentially five kind of leaders. He broke it down into five distinctive groups here, common leadership styles. Number one was command and control. Uh, this is the, and he gives a couple of examples for each one of these, but this is your Bob Knight, your, your, your George S. Patton. These guys are autocratic in nature. Uh, we are going to be blunt and forceful, and you're going to do things my way, or you're not going to do them at all. The second one is relational. Building relationships, building trust, employee buy-in by allowing people to have say in the decisions. This is where we get into Anson Dorrance, Joe Torrey. Uh, and where you get to know your players and you really want to relate and work with your players. The third one is the expert leader. It's a visionary leader who is really uh, smart, uh, has a lot of great information and knowledge. They're highly dependent on their knowledge or their specialized set of skills to guide their teams. This is where we get into like Bill Gates and Microsoft or perhaps Phil Jackson with the triangle offense. The fourth type of leader is a charismatic leader. Uh, you know, able to really relate to people, uh, to scan and process the moods and concerns of individuals and large audience, and to be able to, uh, you know, come to a place where people just want to get behind this person and really, really follow them. Uh, the examples that Jaeger gives is John Kennedy, Pete Carroll, those type of people. And then the fifth leader is what Jaeger calls the synergetic leader, which is the combination of all four leadership styles, and this has the best chance to create a great team culture. The example that Jaeger spends talking about here is, of course, the great John Wooden. Uh, he used command and control with simple rules that were consistently enforced. He, he used relational, relational uh, leadership by getting to know his players and tailoring uh, their system to their strengths and weaknesses. He was an expert in that he knew what phrasing he wanted to use and when he was going to use it, and he sold that vision. And he was charismatic by his willingness to share thoughts and ideas with anybody who wanted to discuss them. So within this pillar, the first thing he talks about is the development of great leadership. The second thing is he talks about allowing culture to shape your recruiting. You want to bring in players. You want people to come into your program that want to be part of it and that are going to thrive underneath your culture. Sometimes we look at people and we think, well, they should fit because of this talent and that talent, but they're not able to develop great leadership. Uh, the, the two people he talked about here uh, was Isaiah Thomas as a basketball coach and uh, general manager, and Wayne Gretzky as a hockey coach. Two individual great players who, in their sports who just could not bring long-term leadership and success in their roles off of the court. One of the guys he did talk about as being a, a great leader in this regard is Chris Peterson, who is the former football coach at Boise State and at Washington University. He talked about OKGs, our kind of guys. And those are the you have to know what type of players that you can relate to and work with. Um, Chris Peterson 
had a vision that he was going to bring in two and three stars that were going to develop over four and five years, and they were going to be their kind of guys that were going to be okay with being in Boise, Idaho for four or five years. He also talked about two really, really important leaders, two guys that that in back-to-back years won national championships but did it in totally different ways. Jerry Tarkanian at UNLV. Tough-minded, who brought in inner-city kids from single-parent families who came in with an edge, whereas Coach Krzyzewski brought in kids that fit the the, the environment at Duke University um, and players that he felt like he could coach. Both coaches were highly successful in their careers, but they both did it with different players with a different leadership type of style. We talk about millennials all the time. Here's some interesting statistics on millennials, and I think this is important. As you talk about your leadership style and how you're going to uh, lead these young people into the 21st century, here's what millennials are thinking. He says, and I'm going to read this word for word. According to data collected by the Intelligence Group, 64% of surveyed millennials desire to make the world a better place. 79% want a boss who will be seen as a mentor. 88% of millennials value collaboration over competition in a work culture, and 88% seek a work-life integration. Basically, they want relational leadership by a very high percentage and wide margin. So you are, in your team, most 88% of your players that you're coaching want it to be a collaboration rather than a competition. Here's a quote from Stephen Covey. If you can hire people whose passion intersects with the job, they won't require any supervision at all. They will manage themselves better than anyone could ever manage them. Their fire comes from within, not from without. Their motivation is internal, not external. So that is what you need to think about as you bring in players and and coaches into your staffs when it comes to recruiting people and having them be part of your program. Third part of this pillar, they want to maintain, they want to create and maintain depth. Okay, you need to emphasize that no player is irreplaceable and that you need to have a deep bench. Now, there are certain stories where players have been replaceable and it's worked out well, most notably Trent Green and Kurt Warner, Tom Brady and Drew Bledsoe. Um, sometimes some players are not replaceable. I've been there. Uh, One year, I had perhaps the best athlete in the entire state, probably male or female. She tears her ACL. We go 500 instead of winning 20 games. That kid, we literally could not replace. Sometimes you have players that you cannot replace. We just had this a few, uh, the last week or two. The Lakers could not replace Anthony Davis or LeBron James because when, when they got hurt, they're just irreplaceable. But you want to have that infrastructure in place to where most of your players are replaceable in some way, shape, or form. How do you build that depth? Through a variety of different ways. Anson Dorrance does it through his competitive cauldron, where he keeps track of statistics in everything that he does, and he rates his players at the end of every day while building relationships. Dayton Moore, who was the general manager of the Kansas City Royals when he created one of the greatest comeback stories in baseball history, bringing the Royals to a World Series championship and a World Series appearance in back-to-back years in 2014 and 15, he did it by basically having a philosophy of that they were going to care for everyone in the organization as if they were family. So that is how you build depth in some ways. You need to be aware of employee dissatisfaction that could lead to turnover. In our our, uh, 
profession, it's players quitting our program. We don't want to have that turnover. We have natural turnover through graduation. We cannot have integral players within our programs quitting our teams. We cannot survive that on a high level. So you need to keep that in mind as you build your culture that you want to build depth so that when there's injuries, when there's situations that are out beyond your control, you can take care of that and bring those players into your program and keep it moving forward in a positive way and keep building that great team. The next topic under uh, pillar two here is having a roadmap. You have to have a plan. You have to have an idea as to where you want to go and what you're going to do with your team. There's, there's a long list of examples here. Nick Saban, the process. Coach Wooden with his pyramid of success. Bill Snyder, his 16 goals for success. What is important to remember is that great teams adapt to change and update their roadmap to compensate for the growing needs of the organization. So don't come up with a plan and say, here's the plan and we're going to follow it no matter what. You've got to be ready for detours and you've got to be ready for things that are going to happen that are unplanned within that roadmap so that you're able to overcome it much easier than if you're not prepared for it. Okay, You have to plan for those detours. The last thing in this pillar is Jaeger talks about that great teams need to promote camaraderie and a sense of collective direction. So we're taking these four topics and combining it and culminating it with this pillar with these these thoughts on promoting camaraderie and a sense of collective direction. I love this sentence here. Camaraderie doesn't happen by accident. Developing a strong sense of trust, accountability, and togetherness around team goals requires intentional effort. One of the greatest examples of this in sports history is the San Antonio Spurs. They develop camaraderie through open communication, and Popovich does a great job of open communication, of giving his players a voice. You are expected to have a voice when you come into their program. Great teams are connection cultures, and if you want to have that connection, you have to intentionally build it. I want to I leave here today with three quick thoughts here. Leadership teams have to declare what they are trying to build by having honest conversations and altering, alerting everyone to their roles. You have to let people know what's expected of them, and you have to let them know that you expect them to contribute to the program. Camaraderie is often overlooked, but it can be the greatest asset in unifying a team. If you have that unification through camaraderie, you're going to have a great season, no matter what how many games you win. You're going to feel good about that experience. And the very last thing here, and I put this quote out on Twitter the other day, got a nice reaction to it. I love this quote. A leader can create a connection culture by sharing vision, value, and voice. When that leader communicates an inspiring vision and lives it, values others, and gives them a voice, they feel connected. If all three are recognized, then the byproduct is a great organizational culture. And that is what we should all be striving for as we try to build our great teams. So this was Don Yeager's Great Teams, pillar number two, and that is effective management. Think about these concepts and ideas as you're building your team here in the offseason. Don't start building your team in October and November. Build it in June and July and then pick it up again in September, October, and November. Coaches, we got a lot of great things planned here. Uh, we got another Foundation Friday coming this Friday. 
uh, we, we've a pen and a napkin university is coming together really, really well. Uh, looking to launch the website sometime next week. We're going to have a bunch of stuff lined up and ready to go. It's going to be really, really good. You're going to want to sign up for it because we've got a lot of great concepts that we are going to put out there. So look into it. It's, it's going to be a great value of you. You can pick one course or you can pick one topic. You can pick one entire course or you can pick the entire thing. It's, it's going to be very, very good for you and your for your staff's development. Coaches, hope you enjoyed this book club number 37. As always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time. <laughs>